Hi, and welcome to another episode of Property Legal 101, a weekly podcast where I will discuss, simplify and explain different legal topics in relation to property transactions in England and Wales, so that you can approach your own property projects with more confidence and communicate more effectively with your solicitor. My name is Josh Yam, Associate Partner at Spencer West LLP. In last week's episode, we had a look at what I would consider as the different stages of a typical second-hand property purchase from a solicitor's point of view. This week, I want to look at the other important aspect of a purchase transaction, costs, and discuss what else you could expect to have to pay besides the purchase price. As with every episode, the aim of the content is to give you a general understanding of the basics, but I will not be able to cover everything in detail. So if you're listening to this episode whilst looking at the financial statement that your solicitor has provided to you, and there are items on your solicitor's financial statement which I do not cover in this episode, this does not necessarily mean that there is anything wrong. The procedure for conveyancing can be complex depending on the property and the legal structure behind it. If there are any items on your solicitor's financial statement which you do not understand or do not know why it is there, then my advice would always be to speak to your solicitor. Let's begin by looking at a freehold property purchase. As you may recall from episode 2, a freehold title is an absolute ownership of the property or land. And so we'll often find that a freehold transaction will often be more straightforward than a leasehold because the parties involved in a freehold transaction will typically only be you as the buyer and the existing property owner as a seller. So besides the purchase price, what other items might you expect to have to pay? Number one, stamp duty land tax. The biggest additional cost for your purchase will in most cases be the stamp duty land tax, SDLT, which is paid to the HMRC, short for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Anyone buying land or property in England and Wales will need to pay stamp duty, and the purchaser's solicitor will normally collect the required money from you prior to completion and submit the return on your behalf after completion. The rules on the calculation of SDLT is constantly changing and the government is forever amending and adjusting the rates. I'm recording this episode in August 2020, so whilst I will explain the basic position of the current SDLT, if you are listening to this in the future, say after March 2021, you will need to check with your solicitor for the most up-to-date position. SDLT in England and Wales is calculated on a progressive banded system based on a property purchase price and different rates are applicable depending on the purchaser's position at the date of completion. If, at the date of completion, the property you are purchasing will be the first and only residential property for you and your spouse anywhere in the world, then the lower rate will apply. What is important to note here is that your spouse will be considered with you as a single unit, even if they are not the purchaser. If the property you are purchasing will be an additional residential property or a buy-to-let investment, then a higher rate will apply, attracting an additional 3% surcharge at each band. At the time of recording, a stamp duty holiday has been implemented in England and Wales, and so for transactions completing on or before 31st of March 2021, an increased initial threshold up to £500,000 would be applicable. Number 2. Legal fee. Pretty self-explanatory. Your solicitor's legal fee will be payable on completion 
However, you should make sure you're aware of all of your solicitor's potential charges at the start of engagement. For example, as I have discussed in episode 1, if they would charge a separate legal fee for dealing with your mortgage. Number 3. Land Registry Fee After completion, the main post-completion task for your solicitor will be to register your ownership at HM Land Registry. For any registration application, HM Land Registry will charge a registration fee dependent on the type of application and the purchase price. Your solicitor will collect the required amount from you prior to completion and settle this on your behalf with Land Registry when submitting your application. Number 4. Search Fees Part of the standard purchasing procedure is for the purchasing solicitor to obtain a number of searches in relation to the land and property to complete their due diligence and make sure that there are no underlying issues which you should be concerned about. If you are completing with a mortgage, these searches will be a mandatory requirement of any lender. The costs for property searches will vary depending on the location of the property you are purchasing. On average, you can expect search fees between £300 to £500 plus VAT. However, for very prime locations such as Chelsea and Kensington in central London, the costs may be higher. Number 5. Money on account. This is an item which normally causes a lot of confusion for clients. Many solicitors will request for money on account from clients, whether this is at the start of a transaction in a second-hand purchase or prior to final completion on a new build purchase. As the name suggests, money on account is not a sum attributable to a cost which has already been incurred. Instead, because of strict solicitor accounting rules, money on account is an amount of money provided to the solicitor from you to cover the costs of any potential third-party payments required. To explain a bit further, solicitors are required to keep client money separate from the firm's money. As such, each law firm will have two different accounts, an office account for the firm's money and a client account for client money. The client account will house funds provided to the firm by all of the firm's clients. As such, the rules regarding the use of client account money is very strict and a firm cannot use client account money on a file unless the money being used has been provided by the client in question. If you do not provide your solicitors with money on account, your solicitor cannot use other clients' money on your matter. They will either have to delay any tasks which require payment in advance until they receive funds from you, or they will need to first pay using the firm's money from the firm's office account. With regards to the latter, from a law firm's point of view, the question with this approach will of course be the recovery of these costs from you. Not such an issue if the transaction completes successfully, but more of a consideration in circumstances where the matter becomes abortive along the way. Big firms with a lot of resources may be able to take a view on this, but most firms won't have that luxury. Number 6. Mortgage Fees For mortgage completion, there will be some other costs involved specific to this. We have already covered your solicitor's potential legal fee where they are dealing with the bank directly to secure your mortgage drawdown. However, another scenario which may arise is where your lender instructs their own separate solicitor to deal with the mortgage legal work. Where this is the case, your solicitor will still be having to do the mortgage legal work, but rather than reporting to the lender directly, they will be sending everything the lender needs to the lender's instructor solicitor. The lender's solicitor will then review all the documents and information submitted, and if they are satisfied, they will then report to the lender to confirm drawdown can take place. As such, 
What you will find is that the lender solicitor will also be charging a legal fee for dealing with the mortgage drawdown work on their end. And it will most often, under the terms of your mortgage offer, be your responsibility to pay for this as well. In a leasehold purchase, the additional items we just discussed for a freehold purchase will also apply, but there will be the following additional items specific to a leasehold transaction. Number 7. Ground rent and service charge. As we discussed in episode 3, one of the key aspects of a leasehold property is that you do not actually have an absolute ownership of the property. What you have is the right to use the property for an agreed number of years as determined by your lease with the landlord. As such, one of the key recurring annual payments you will need to make to the landlord will be the ground rent, an annual rental payment to the landlord for the use of the land on which the property sits on, and service charge, an annual contribution to reimburse the landlord on the costs of maintaining the common areas and wider estate. Ground rent and service charge payments are paid in advance each year, so there will be two types of situations. On a purchase of a new build apartment, you will be the first legal owner of the apartment on the date of completion. So you will need to make the very first ground rent and service charge payment to the landlord from the date of completion when you become the legal owner. There will typically be two ways that this first payment will be calculated. The traditional method would be for the figures to be apportioned from the date of legal completion until the next payment due date under the lease. For example, Let's say we complete our purchase on the 1st of August 2020 and the lease stipulates that ground rent and service charge is to be paid on the 1st of January each year. So 1st of January 2021. The first payment will therefore be calculated from the 1st of August 2020 to the 1st of January 2021 and you will pay this on completion to the landlord. The alternative method is for the landlord to take a set amount on account on completion for example, £500 ground rent on account and £1,000 service charge on account. These initial amounts are not apportioned for any particular period. Using our example just now, when payments are due on the 1st of January 2021, the landlord will at that point make the necessary apportionments and give credit for any excess or request for any shortfalls. The advantage of the latter method is that it offers a level of flexibility in the legal process if the final completion date shifts and avoids having to redo calculations on multiple occasions. For existing leasehold properties, the seller would have already paid ground rent and service charge in advance for that year. So you will need to reimburse the seller for the amount of ground rent and service charge they have paid in advance, which will be attributable to your period of ownership from the date you complete your purchase. Number 8. Deed of Covenants with existing leasehold properties, there will be legal formalities which needs to be followed in order to obtain the landlord's consent whenever an apartment owner wishes to deal with the apartment, whether this is a sale, subletting or refinancing. A deed of covenant is a legal document between the landlord and an incoming buyer in which the incoming buyer confirms that they will abide by and comply with the terms of the existing lease. If required, the completed deed of a covenant document will need to be submitted to the landlord after completion, and there will usually be a charge for acknowledging and processing this. Your solicitor may also charge a fee for dealing with this document. Number 9. License to assign. 
For almost all leasehold properties, the landlord's consent will be required for any sale of the property. The consent will come in the form of a formal license to assign document in which the landlord will confirm the consent for the sale. Because the license to assign is the landlord's permission for the current owner to dispose of their interest, it will typically be the seller's responsibility to pay this. However, I've included this here as it is not set in stone. So there may be situations where the seller may try to request that the purchaser settle this instead. Where required, this document will be drafted by the landlord solicitor and will be specific to the particular transaction. And a landlord solicitor will charge a fee for dealing with this. Number 10, notice fees. Once a transaction has been completed, the landlord will need to be notified of this in writing by way of notices which are served by the purchasing solicitor on either the landlord solicitor or the landlord directly. Again, there will be a fee payable to the landlord or their solicitors to acknowledge and process your notices. That should cover the most common and major additional charges on a standard freehold and leasehold property. In next week's episode, I will look into joint ownership and the usual methods in which co-owners can hold a legal title to a property in England and Wales. If you have any questions on this week's episode, or if you have any topics you would like me to look at in a future episode, feel free to email me at propertylegal101 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and have a great week.